This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider. A few months ago, I spoke to Tom Nelson, who is the Head of Natural Resources at Investec Asset Management in London, and I'm going to resume our chat under the banner Deconstructing Decarbonisation, and underneath that headline, it says the following, how humanity's greatest challenge impacts the investment landscape. You take it very seriously, Tom, and your colleagues at Investec Asset Management the same. Humanity's greatest challenge, you're not understating the case at all here. No, we're not, and it is a subject that we take extremely seriously, and there are There are really two principal reasons for that. The first is that from the point of view of the well-being of our planet and the natural environment in which we all live, the challenge of decarbonisation is is as big as almost any other challenge we face. The knock-on effect or the interconnected um, effect as investment managers is ultimately that anything that um, risks such damage and such long-term negative impact on our physical world um, has inherently um, very, very profound investment implications. And, you know, when you put the two together, it's something that as, as citizens of the world um, and as investors, we all need to take incredibly seriously. You quite neatly put the key findings at the beginning of your piece, uh, deconstructing decarbonisation. And the first is humanity faces an unprecedented challenge, which is what you've just alluded to, to transition quickly to a carbon-free growth model, one that reduces the emissions causing climate change and could also lead to a more sustainable and equitable uh, society. And there are a few other key findings as well. I don't know how you want to handle this, but maybe we should go through them in point form, if you like. Sure. I mean, I think the first point there that that you touch on about the the impact on the environment and and the sort of associated impact on on society as a whole is absolutely key to all of this. And it actually goes back to what I just said about investment implications because of the view that the world of investments, the corporate world, needs to be understood as part of a wider society. And the two together uh, take their place uh, uh, inside the, the physical world that we inhabit. In other words, the sort of historic attitudes towards sort of business first, society later and and environment some way down the road have proven to be extremely damaging, both at a social level in terms of inequality and also in terms of environmental degradation. And this, you know, the second point is that, and this is where it gets a little bit more nuanced, but we have to find a way to solve this problem that doesn't also bring with it negative social costs. And we've already seen um, most recently in France um, with the Gilles uh, also in the US with, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of disaffected workers who perceive that a move to environmental improvement or a move to reduce emissions is going to cost jobs and reduce living standards. And so this concept of a just transition, uh, which isn't simply paid for with uh, unintended social costs, I think is, is, is the really important aspect of it. The world has embarked on its third energy transition. This is point number two, but we covered that in a previous podcast, Tom, but maybe recap for us, please. 
Yes, well, it's it's a huge topic in itself, and and the Investment Institute here at Investec Asset Management is in the process of publishing uh, Energy 3.0, uh, which is six independent or individual, but but very much interrelated papers on the transition as a whole. But really, the summary is that uh, we are embarking or in the early stages of the third energy transition. Uh, the first was from wood to coal. The second was from coal to oil and gas. And, and we are now in the early stages of this transition towards um, renewable sources of energy. And you know what the historic ones have, or the previous ones have taught us, is that typically these are these transitions are about diversification. In other words, a new energy source, which is typically cheaper and sometimes more energy intensive, sort of comes in. It doesn't necessarily mean that the incumbent forms of energy are entirely marginalized, although in this case, we think that coal will largely be driven out of the power generation system over a number of decades. Um, and, and in the case of this transition, uh, we would observe that there are likely to be winners on both sides. In other words, there will be new uh, renewable sources of energy which enjoy terrific growth. And we would point in particular towards wind and solar. But we also expect some of the incumbent uh, companies, particularly in oil and gas, who can evolve and improve their businesses, they will actually have an important role to play in this transition. Yeah, the transition is only just beginning to my mind, my layman's mind, and the potential is absolutely enormous. And I always use the example of June the 30th, 2018, a long, hot British summer, where I think something like 28 or 29% of the energy requirements of Great Britain was provided by solar and wind, mainly solar. And when you look at the continent on which Investec Asset Management was born, you can see that if, if Britain can do it, then the continent of Africa can do it and South Africa can do it as well. So it's very, very exciting. You talk about the implications, yeah, you talk about the implications being broad for society, individuals, and probably importantly from an asset manager's point of view, asset owners. You go on to say there are new risks and opportunities for asset owners and private capital who will play a powerful role in this transition. This is where, from an investment point of view, decarbonisation starts to become very exciting. That's right. I mean, we believe that businesses uh, and subsectors with truly differentiated technologies, and, and we find areas like wind and solar and uh, some aspects of battery technology and storage and some parts of electric vehicle technology. We think that within these, uh, and indeed energy efficiency, I should stress, that, that the, it, within these areas, and not, not at a blanket level, but within these areas and sub-industries, there are going to be some very, very exciting structural growth uh, areas. And when we think about the amount of capital that is going to be deployed to enable this transition. Uh, we don't think it is an exaggeration to say that the winners at a corporate level of this energy transition and multi-decade decarbonisation could be some of the industrial giants of tomorrow. So that's that's the sort of the exciting growth aspect. The other side of the ledger, if you like, the risk management side, is about asset owners. Um, understanding where carbon risk sits in their portfolios. And just as we would observe that we think the growth opportunity is probably underestimated or underappreciated in the mind of asset owners, we, we would also, I think, conclude that the 
carbon risk, which is currently existing or sitting in many asset owner portfolios, is also um, probably um, under uh, or, or, or is not fully understood. And actually, when you put those two together, uh, we think there is a really important opportunity coming for asset owners to offset or mitigate that what I would call pregnant carbon carbon risk sitting in portfolios by making a positive allocation to uh, companies and parts of the market uh, which will benefit from the process of decarbonisation. So we find that too much of the narrative is on, if you like, divestment. Uh, let's let's sell these companies or blacklist these companies. Yes. And 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 not enough. It's on saying, well, who 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 are the winners here? Who could grow from being a two billion market cap company to a to, to a two hundred billion market cap company in the next ten years? That's where we think people need to be looking. I was talking to your colleague, Deirdre Cooper, a few days ago, and we used the example of the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is sort of moving away from carbon investments, but not just for the sake of it, but also moving in to the sort of investments that you've been uh, talking about and deploying capital in a company yes. that might be $2 billion now, but would be $100 billion in the future. And on that note, point four of your key findings says the following, investors must build the right framework and toolkit to manage successfully this shift and fully grasp the impact of this transition at the macro asset class and individual security level to meet their long-term objectives. You've covered some of that point already ready, but maybe embellish it. Yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's about taking um, a holistic view, in our opinion. It's about understanding uh, both sides. In other words, this is not, in our opinion, a case of saying, well, uh, hydrocarbon is bad, renewable energy is good. And so allocating in that way, it, it has to be more intelligent, it has to be more nuanced, it has to be better measured. We spend a lot of time thinking about scope one, two, and three carbon at a company level, but also at a portfolio level, and thinking about carbon avoided, um, particularly when we, we allocate to environmental and renewable energy companies. And we spend a lot of time looking at what we would call the incumbent hydrocarbon companies, uh, particularly in oil and gas, and thinking about how they can evolve their businesses. You know, can or could Shell become a fully integrated sort of natural gas to domestic electricity and and electricity storage business. For example, Shell will tell you that they have, in terms of brand and customer loyalty on a global basis, um, that they are the world's leading energy company. They will tell you that they have more vehicle forecourts than there are McDonald's in the world. Now, <laughs> if, all of those, if all of those could charge your electric car, you could also do your groceries and, and, you, you know, the, the, so the opportunities for change and improvement and, and business evolution here are almost inestimable. And, you know, that is why investors, asset owners, asset allocators have to approach this with an open mind. But we think it's helpful to have a framework. We've constructed a framework around structural growth, around cash from existing businesses, around stranded assets and, and, and carbon risk, and also a very interesting quadrant um, that we call green bubble, which will be filled with companies and parts of the market, subsectors, where actually, although there will be a lot of hype and excitement around their green or, or renewable energy or, or decarbonisation ambitions, actually, they'll flatter to deceive. Um, and they may enjoy some early years of growth, but it'll largely be profitless growth. Barriers to entry will be low. There'll be no differentiated technology. 
um, and ultimately those those will prove to be very value destructive. So it's a it's a very nuanced and subtle um, and and um, specialist area, um, and we're enormously excited about the opportunities we're seeing in various parts of it, uh, particularly in what we've called the global environment universe that we've constructed. Um, and we would observe as well that with, with every quarter that goes by, the data gets better and better and better. And we think that that improvement in data quality and the standardization of data measurement at a company and a portfolio level will give asset owners the confidence to allocate here. Because there is clearly at the moment something of a confidence gap. And there's just so much capital that needs to come into this and we think will come into it. And that's what will be needed to drive the decarbonisation. Tom, I can sense your excitement. And because of that, I didn't cut you off because we've run out of time. But the final point is this Energy 3.0 series seeks to set out an investment framework for asset owners embarking on this journey. We are going to cover the rest of the Energy 3.0 series in subsequent podcasts. But just briefly, if you would set the scene for this document that you've put out. Well, it's an attempt really to put the current energy transition uh, in context and, and when I say context, I mean both with reference to history, um, but also what exactly is going on sort of on the ground today um, and, and what might the future look like. So we uh, we cover, you know, the history, what can history teach us, rise of renewable energy. Um, we dedicate some time to the future of transportation. Um, and then towards the end of the series, we, we pivot specifically towards the investment side um, with um, impact and implication for asset owners um, and and we conclude with investment frameworks for decarbonisation, some of which I've touched on. So it's um, and there's an awful lot more that we could have covered. And um, it's trying to put what is really almost an industrial revolution in the context of previous examples of it and then look at how that affects investment decisions and frameworks that need to be taken today. Tom, thank you very much for your time. That's Tom Nelson, Head of Natural Resources at Investec Asset Management in London.